On this episode of Off Course Agility, I'll be talking about personal choices in regards to dogs, agility, and even your own life. I'm recording this on Saturday, April 29th, which I might get into a bit uh, in a little bit because I shouldn't even be here. But since I'm home, I should be at a trial, but I chose not to be. I made a choice. Um, I'm recording a podcast. Figured I'd take this time to record a podcast that I've been meaning to do for a little bit and uh, just haven't found the time. So since I have a little time today, because I was planning to do something else and now I'm not, I thought I'd record this podcast. So there's a lot of choices one makes when uh, you're doing agility and uh, actually your first choice probably is uh, what dog do you get? Um, I think if you're listeners of my podcast, you all know that I, my choice is pretty much a beagle. That's how I actually ended up in agility because my first beagle uh, brought me to agility in a way. And uh, that's how I got involved with agility. So maybe your first choice before you even are in the agility world is what dog do you get? But then when you get in the agility world and maybe it comes time to get another dog, what dog do you choose? And obviously I chose another beagle because I'm a beagle fan and uh, my choice in a dog involves possibly doing agility and also more importantly having a companion dog that I really enjoy having. So uh, my choice has always been a beagle. So that might be your first choice when you start uh, going down the road to or you're in the world of agility let's say but then obviously say you have a baby dog you're maybe you're already doing agility maybe you're not what's your next choice that you might be making is where do I get training or do you train yourself uh, have you been doing agility a long time and you feel like you can just train your dog yourself or do you go to classes now you got to find a class or find it teacher or someone that will help you down your training for agility and that's an important choice so those choices you have to make too and then let's say now you got a dog that you're somewhat confident can at least do uh, agility now you where am I going to trial what venue am I going to do? Is my dog more so suited for maybe AKC? Maybe that is my dog and my temperament? Or is NADAC more your, your cup of tea, let's say? Or is it one of the others? Maybe CPE or one of the other venues? Or maybe you don't even want to do agility and you, you, you want to do some other dog sport. But let's stick, because this podcast is generally about agility. Let's stick with the agility world. And then, you let's say now you've gotten past the training, you have that dog, you've chosen a venue. So now, what trials are you going to go to? There's so many decisions. You know, when you really think about it, there are so many decisions. Some of them maybe become... Uh, wrote over the years, but maybe not. Uh, 
So, you know, you obviously you look at a trial calendar of whatever venue um, you you want to go to. Um, you look at the, tr you know, you get the trial premium maybe, and you look at the, what it is, you know, where is it located? Is the trial inside? Is the trial outside? Is it on on a field? Is it on dirt? Um, you know, all those factors that you decide and factor in to whether you want a trial at that, take your dog and trial at that location or not. And when you're looking at that too, you go, is this trial close enough that I can go back and forth every day? Which was the case for me today. I entered a trial where my, my intention was to, to drive, get up early and drive to it in the morning. Or is it something that I have to plan and, you know, I have to stay over to go to this trial? So now that brings you to another decision point. You got to find a hotel, motel, B&B. &B. Where am I going to stay over? Or am I a type of person who camps? Do I have a tent? Do I have an RV? Do I want to go and, you know, camp somewhere close by? Or perhaps the trial allows camping on site. So what do you do there? So many decisions, <laughs> so many things to do. And then, all right, now, so you decide, okay, I, I, you know, this trial, this premium, I've decided, okay, I could do that. And also, let's not forget, cost. How much does it cost to enter the premium? How much does, you know, how much does it cost to enter the trial, I should say? How much will it cost me to pay for camping? Or how much will it cost for me to go to a hotel, motel, B&B, &B, whatever the case may be? The price of gas? How many miles do I need to go? You know, how many times am I doing that? Am I doing it, you know, if I'm doing a day trip thing, you know, you got to go up and back and maybe up and back. If it's a two-day trial, you might have four commutes in there. Or, uh, you know, if you're going to go stay over, you know, I got to go, you know, 400 miles to get to the hotel and then, you know, then I'm not using much gas, but okay, I got to, you know, factor in that cost of how I get to the trial. In regards to the cost, you also have to factor in your dog and where they are and what they like to do. What classes do you enter? What classes am I going to run at this trial? And how many, how many, you know, how many runs per day will, will I, you know, make my dog do? Uh, maybe you have a dog that, you know, is a great athlete, doesn't get tired. You can run every run. Great. But maybe your dog's getting older. You don't want to tax them. Or you're getting back into it after a break, which is a bit of my case right now. Um, how many do you want? How many runs can you realistically, you know, let your dog run? Or how many times do you want to put them on a class that involves contacts or weave poles or whatever it might be for you and your dog? So many decisions. <laughs> So after you've figured all that out, you know, the cost, the classes, now you, you know, if you decide you're going, you're going to send in your entry. 
you're going to send in your entry, and now you're going to go to that trial. And you get to the trial, let's hope you did great. So now, you know, maybe you got some cues. Maybe, maybe you didn't get some cues. Maybe you need to, you know, think about what you need to trade more or, or what class or what you might need to do to help you go down your journey in agility. Or, you know, just ongoing. All right, my dog did okay. My dog is, you know, I've gone to a, this trial and my dog, you know, and obviously I'm in NADAC, uh, a NADAC person. So let's say at the trial, my dog accomplished, uh, I'm in novice, and my dog accomplished uh, getting three cues in a class. So now he has his novice title say in regular or tunnelers or whatever class it might be. So now that brings up a decision point. Do you want to take your dog all the way through all the classes of NADAC? You know, get, the, get that novice title, get your outstanding title, get your superior title, and then move up to open? Or do you want to just Get that basic title and immediately move up to open. This is a decision where, I mean, my, my dog Trace is six years old now, and we really haven't gotten that far in the world of, you know, the basic titles of novice. We have a few in intro. We've had very, I mean, I've handled Trace very weird and how I've done things. So these decisions are, you know, uh, will weigh on me too in a bit because I don't know with my first dog Dino I pretty much knew from the beginning I didn't think he was I, I, I knew it would be a very hard journey to get to elite uh, to, so I never really I thought oh I need to and I was a beginner I was a beginner we need to get every cue in every class so we always marched up and sure enough by the time I retired Dino he, he was in open in a lot of classes. Many classes he was in open, and uh, but we never made it to that elite level. Never made it to the elite level. And that's okay. But, like, if I had jumped up toward the end, maybe I didn't try to go all the way through open, maybe he could have done elite. Maybe not. I don't know. I'll never know. I never tried. But with Trace now, I'm like, I still have belief that he might be a good dog. Uh, you know, he could be a dog, good agility dog. He has his issues, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I still have hope. I'm still hopeful with him. But he's six years old. He's almost six years old now. And uh, he's currently five, right? Yeah. How old are you, bud? <laughs> oh, dogs could talk. Uh, Let's see, 17, so yeah, he will be six uh, this year. He's going to turn six this year. So, uh, you know, that's getting old. My sister's dog, Belle, she's going to turn 10, but she's done. She's done. She's, she's not doing agility anymore. She just, you know, wore out, I guess. <laughs> she's, and, you know, she's still a perfectly great companion dog, which, you know, is what I first said. I get a dog to be a companion dog. And Belle is a great companion. She still is. And she still likes doing her uh, visits to uh, therapy. She likes doing her therapy visits. Just Leanne works and she doesn't get to do that all that much. So 
anyway, those decisions. Do you, you know, do you move up? You just get your three at novice, get your three cues at open and move right to elite? I don't know. I'm, I mean, I haven't done it yet. I haven't even gotten any. I think we might have, not positive, we might have a novice tunneler's cue. Uh, but uh, I haven't had to make that decision yet because, as I said, I've had... Trace and I have had some issues, and, and he had a little spat last year where I pretty much stopped doing agility, but he seems to be okay now. I'm hoping, I'm knocking on wood, that he's all right. Um, so anyway, let's say you have a different dog. You don't have the issues I have. Um, you know, after a while, your dog gets, gets all, you know, you're, you're doing open, say, you got a lot of cues. Um, or you're up at elite, you're in the elite level, then do you want to go to championships? There, I mean, there you go all back through the list of questions I asked before. Can I afford the entry? Can, you know, can I afford going there? You know, some years it's toward the east side of the country, and some years it's out in uh, Wyoming, Gillette. It seems like that's a semi-permanent uh, location for the West right now, but, you know, over the years, the championships have varied uh, as to where they go, so who knows where it might be located in any given year. At some point, you go, do I want to go? You know, do I want to try to enter my dog in that? Uh, after seeing my sister and Belle go to championships uh, and seeing what it's all about, I would love to be able to do that. Um, I don't think there's any way Trace would be able to technically qualify for championships this year. So if, if indeed we entered or something, it would be like some sort of, like I didn't fill when we got in, but I'm not holding that out. But there's a chance I might go to championships anyway just to be there because I do enjoy watching, uh, watching and, 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 and it's a fun uh, vacation in some ways. So I'll see. That's a decision down the road. But... You know, these are all these decisions you make when you're involved in, in agility, dog agility. And then at some point, you get to the point of, is my dog still having fun? Is my dog still able to do it? You know, you get back to that. Do I have to start cutting back how many runs I let my dog do? Do I just retire? Do I just retire my dog from agility? I mean, that's what happened with Dino. You know, um, Dino competed. I think he was about, I think he was about eleven when he stopped. When I retired, Dino, he he was he was he was done. And and then we had after after I actually stopped doing agility, he then had some physical issues too. Like it, at one point, he blew out his ACL. So, you know. Uh, at that point, that's where, you know, some people plan for that because they always have another dog. So some people always have two dogs. But that's another decision. Do you, you know, can you really have two dogs in your life? Um, my sister, she, she has Belle and she has her uh, puppy Violet right now. And we'll see if Violet ends up doing agility or not. She's just, she's not, she's going to be one month next, uh, she's going to be one year next month, I should say. So we'll see. I mean, it, we'll see. And those are decisions my sister will make. Uh, 
Um, but, you know, at the end, it, it becomes rough. You know, do, do you do that? And uh, so, you know, those are the decisions that I see that you make uh, in agility. Um, and I think what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take a quick break yeah, this, this podcast is going to be a little different than some of my previous ones. I'm going to take a quick break, and then I'll come back and probably do kind of like I normally would do at the end of the podcast, and then I'll come back one more time about uh, personal choices, and uh, because that section some of you may want to listen to and you may not. So uh, let me take a quick break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So as I said at the start, today I should have been at uh, the Playbow trial up in New Paltz. But right now, the weather here in Morristown, which is oh, it's about an hour and a half south of New Paltz. Uh, I don't know what the mileage is. <laughs> in, on the East Coast, it's often about how long it takes you to get someplace. Um, as opposed to miles. So right now the temperature is 50 degrees as I record this, and it's drizzly. And uh, when I checked the weather up in New Paltz earlier, actually did not look like it was raining that bad, but it was like not, it was like in the upper 40s. But the forecast was rain pretty much all day today, like a drizzly rain. And in the way we make choices, I know I don't enjoy being out in the cold in the rain, and I'm not so sure my dog does either. Um, and going to an outside trial in the rain, it's just, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't for me today. So, you know, I ate whatever entry amount of money I sent to, to enter today. Now, the forecast for tomorrow is possibly warmer and it may be less likely to be raining in the morning and however it's going to be a much worse storm of rain wind at in the afternoon so it is possible i might try to go to the trial tomorrow i may not i may not have wiped the whole thing off yet but uh Anyway, I just wanted to say that because I'd mentioned it earlier and I didn't really say what the deal was. But essentially, it's a miserable day here. But it's not raining as bad as I thought right now, even here in Morristown. So I am hoping, for the sake of everybody that's up in New Paltz, New York today, at the Playbout trial, that it's, uh, it's a really good, uh, <laughs> really good uh, day that they, you know they're able to work through the the weather but it's too cold for me too cold and dreary for me all right uh the other thing i i wanted to mention i did go to the skyline trial with my my dog trace and uh, we only went one day we went on a saturday and uh, trace did pretty good i was really happy with him now that trial is inside it's in a you would say it's a you know, a horse barn, but there's no horses up there anymore. So I don't know when the last time a horse went in the 
the area that the trial is held in. But uh, he actually, Trace actually got one tunneler's cue. So that's where I think actually that might have given us our novice tunneler's uh, title. So really he was happy about that. And when I'd entered Weavers, I think, and he did well in that. We didn't queue, but he did well on the one run. He definitely did two sets of the three in Novice, which I was really happy about. And uh, I don't remember all the... <laughs> I, I didn't enter that much because I, I just wanted to run up there and, uh, uh, you know, try and see how it went. So... My, you know, I was supposed to be at a trial today, and tomorrow I might, I might go to play bow. Then next weekend uh, is the in the zone trial, uh, which is in South Jersey, and unfortunately, based on what Lisa Schmidt has said, that the fairgrounds down there, the Salem County, Salem County Fairgrounds, I guess it is, has raised the rates that they charge her to rent the place quite a bit you know inflation is rearing its head everywhere this this day um and the camping the camping there and i will be camping has gone from what used to be twenty dollars they've raised it to forty five dollars now forty five dollars to camp at a fairgrounds where really the only thing you're hooking up to is electric uh, that's pretty steep. <laughs> I mean, it's not steep compared to uh, an actual commercial campground. It's it's still reasonable, uh, but forty five dollars to you know essentially just get a, you know plug into a plug, um, and you know there's no there's no hookups. There's no other hookups. There's no sewer. There's no water. They don't even have a dump station at this this uh, fairgrounds. So you're not you're not getting a lot there, uh, you know, uh, for you camping, you know, <laughs> really, you just got the bathroom, um, and, and the being right there at the site of the trial, so that's good, however, since it is going to be the last, uh, in the zone trial in New Jersey, at least for now, I'm just hoping somehow it will change in the future, but I doubt it, uh, I, I would like to try to do something for my podcast down there. So I might try to do some man on the street type thing, like interview some people that are there. You know, how long have you been coming? Uh, you know, you got any special memories from down there? Because it is, it is location wise, it's one of the best places I've trialed is uh, the Salem County Fairgrounds and in the zone in South Jersey there. So it, I've always had fun down there. It's always a great bunch of people. Uh, Dino, back when I used to go with him, he did okay. He was never, a, you know, he was a star in his own right down there, but he, he wasn't like he didn't perform fantastically all the time down there but he got me a number of cues over the years down in down in in the zone in in, in south jersey so i was happy that and and bell uh and my sister's gonna just run bell in one tunnelers run uh, run i i'm doing air quotes around the word run we'll see so she's in novice tunnelers maybe she'll just 
get slotted to the very last run. Uh, we're thinking of it like as a retirement run, I think. And if Belle runs, she runs. If she just waddles around, because she's kind of like, she sometimes she just looks like she waddles now. Uh, if she just waddles through one tunnel and my sister takes her off, that's fine. But her very, Belle's very first trial was down in, in the zone, uh, down at Salem County. And... Uh, she, you know, essentially, Bell is retired. Some of my sister just wanted to, uh, yeah, just for old times' sakes, uh, bring her out on the field and give her one quick run. So uh, that's uh, hopefully that's a nice day, and hopefully it goes well. <laughs> and hopefully everybody will forgive my sister and Belle's slowness. Uh, but she has no intention to try doing the whole course if, if Belle is, is not up for it, which is likely to be the case, but uh, she just wants to do it. And I understand that. Old time sakes, memories, and uh, it was where Belle started. <laughs> uh, I'll save that for the, the next podcast, maybe about in the zone down there in Salem County. Uh, all right, so let's see. The other thing is, let me remind everybody, I always am willing to hear your feedback, comments, or if you'd like to offer to be a guest, uh, as I mentioned guests, I do intend to try to get guests again. It's just, uh, I've been busy, busy last year, busy this year, but my intention is to get back to it. It's just a matter of trying to get in touch with people and asking them to be a guest and then arranging time to do it. So, uh, you may get in touch with me via email at offcourse at optimum.net. I always put that email in the show notes of every episode. So it's offcourse at optimum.net. And uh, I think that might be it for this little portion here. Uh, Also, you know, remind you to... Since I am very sporadic when I record these podcasts, please, please follow me. And uh, uh, if you want to put a review or put some stars, I appreciate it. No, no pressure. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can find this podcast uh, at Apple. It's on Spotify. Uh, it's on a lot of locations where I didn't necessarily put it there. But there's a lot of podcasting places where, where this podcast will show up. Uh, I've been considering trying to put it on a few others, but if I do that, I will let you know. Uh, Since I'm not doing a lot of podcasts right now, I haven't really been chasing any more places. Um, Stitcher, too. I don't even know. Does Stitcher still exist? I I was on Stitcher at one point. Anyway, all right. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to go back to uh, my on my choice theme, Uh, but, you know, if you don't want to listen to what my next portion is, feel free to, you know, uh, (laughs) fast forward or just, you know, mark this episode as played and you can uh, uh, catch me on the next one. So please follow the podcast. So I'll take a quick break and I'll be back with my final section. And I'm back. So my final thing about personal choices here is most choices in life are, they're not necessarily permanent. They're not 
irreversible. You buy a car, you don't like the car, you sell the car, you get a different car. You buy a house, you don't like your neighbors, I don't know, you don't like the house for some reason. That's a really expensive uh purchase so <laughs> one would hope that you really want to be in the house when you buy it but still not irreversible you can take that house and put it back on the market and you can move somewhere else go to a condo go to an apartment whatever you buy an rv if you really don't like the rv you can sell it you, you might be taking a big bath because rvs and cars once you drive them or take them off that lot they go down pretty drastically in value if you're in normal times and not uh, in the middle of COVID back when RVs and everything were going. Car, used cars and used RVs were had incredible value. But times are returning to normal. And, uh, those values aren't the same anymore. So, you know, if you make a mistake in life, you can often change it. You can often make a change. Uh, sometimes it's more difficult than others. But uh, you are in charge of your, you know, your decisions and your life. So, uh, you know, it's up to you what you can do. So that brings me to a personal decision that I made last year. And uh, in some ways, my decision is <laughs> irreversible. Uh, so I'll, I'll get to it. Over the years... Um, I've had more than one doctor tell me I should have bariatric surgery because, as I've often said on this, you know, I've often been a little disparaging of myself on this podcast, calling myself a fat white guy or whatever. Well, anyway, last year I decided to at least look into it. So I went for a consult with a bariatric surgeon, which then put me down this whole path of... Uh, you know, the process, because I thought maybe the time has come that I got to really do something about my weight. And over the years, I've tried a few things, but I just really have not had much success with losing weight. Uh, it's very difficult when you're, you're an overweight person. Um, in some ways, it is a disease. Uh, you know, everyone thinks, oh, you can control it by the amount you eat. And it's true. You can, um, but it's difficult. And a lot of diets, you know, the recidivism rate or whatever, the going back and gaining the weight back, uh, you know, it's high. Most, most diets don't necessarily always work. It, your weight usually comes back and sometimes you go even higher. So anyway, I went, uh, I listened to my, you know, personal doctors and got a referral and so I went to see a surgeon who does bariatric surgery. So um, when you go down the bariatric surgery route, there's a whole, a whole process of things, which I'm going to lay out now in this section, because partly just for me to remember in the future, and uh, if anybody else is ever thinking about it, you'll know, you'll know what this process is. So... Um, the first thing you do, you go see the sur. Well, before you even see the surgeon, and this, you know, some of this probably has changed a bit from COVID. You know, I called, and the first thing they do is, well, they make you sign, you know, do all the paperwork and stuff to come see uh, see the guy. But they also send you links for a video presentation. Uh, 
which you are supposed to watch before you actually come in for the to see the surgeon. So the video presentation, the links for the video, it essentially is. I think they used to do this in an in-person seminar, but it's it's the surgeon and other video clips from, I would say, products maybe <laughs> from the medical industry. I guess I could say. Um, so anyway, you. You have to watch these this video of uh, you know of the options and the risks and the complications of various types of uh, bariatric surgery. So if you don't really know, there's a, a few different options in the world, and there, there's always more new things coming all the time. But there's there's a balloon thing. They can put this balloon in your stomach, which, you know, essentially clogs up your, your stomach for a while. Uh, that's a weird one. I didn't hear that, but I wasn't really interested in, in that. Uh, <laughs> but, and I don't remember all the risks and benefits of that. And then there's, you know, the, the, the stomach belting. Uh, it used to be like lap, lap, lap lap band I think it was called uh, maybe it's still there uh, anyway there's like this banding you, they, they go in and they put this band around your stomach so it essentially reduces the size of your stomach um, and so the food goes in and passes through this band and it kind of constricts your stomach and reduces the size of it um, and that band is a little adjustable um, that can have uh, complications uh, because your stomach can sometimes try to absorb the band uh, or sometimes the stomach tries to go up and over around the band. Anyway, um, obviously these two things I didn't have done. Uh, then the third thing they present in the video is called uh, a gastric sleevectomy, I think it's called. And in that uh, what they do is they go in and they essentially cut away your stomach. So they cut your stomach and you are left with a stomach about the size of a banana, they say. So it limits what you can eat to about, um, you know, four, four ounces of food or so. Um, and so they cut the stomach away, they staple it shut, they check for leaks and uh, that's you're left with this this reduced stomach. And the fourth thing in the presentation is what was essentially the uh, kind of the original um, surgery of gastric bypass, where they take the pipe, <laughs> I'll call it the pipe. They take the pipe that goes into the stomach, they relocate it down into your colon. They leave the stomach and they sew the top of the stomach. I guess they sew it. I don't know. Whatever. They close the top of the stomach. And I think they put a... No, I think that's it. So I think that one's called... It's like XY or something because like the, there's this pipe now that goes across your stomach where the food... Essentially, when you eat with this surgery, you, you totally bypass... Your food never goes into your stomach, so I don't know. I don't know what the purpose of the stomach then is at that point because no food is ever going in. I guess just to produce digest gastric juices or something. I don't know. I'm no expert on this. Obviously, I'm not a medical person. 
Anyway, that was the original one. The problem with that is, you know, you can't eat a lot of food because the food's going right down into your, into your, not your colon, uh, your intestines, I guess it is. Your colon's further in the system. I guess your small, small colon? I don't know. Ah, small intestines, whatever it is. I'm not a doctor. So, obviously, I didn't have that either. Um, so, the benefits, though, that they tell you for a, a lot of these things, especially the last two where it's really a surgery, is that it's supposed to reset your body's weight point. Um, so whereas, you know, my weight point was pretty much like 300 pounds-ish, um, it's supposed to reset your your body's uh, weight point so that it, it's when you eat, you're not, you're not, you, and it's supposed to reduce your hunger. You know, you're not supposed to feel hunger because of that too. That you know, it. Why this happens, I, I don't know. I don't know why it is, but that's that's supposedly the benefits and why um, it's done. And and part of the reason I'm I'm even bringing this up is because when I go to trials, I went to Skyline. When I was at Skyline, a few people definitely noticed I have lost weight. Um, Margaret McEwen noticed and some other people noticed and I've had some co-workers notice uh, I don't go to the office we're still <laughs> I go to the office a little bit but it's real weird how the office world is these days because you know uh, not everybody goes in every day so it's random who you see and who you don't and you know especially when people are only going maybe one or two, two times a week to the office uh, I don't even know. The office doesn't even make sense. That's an, it's, I'm not going tangent and off. But anyway, I have had some people notice. And, and I had one person who noticed my weight loss. And a woman I work with, she didn't want to say anything. She didn't want to say anything. So she talked to one of my other coworkers and said, is there something wrong with Ed? Um, is, he's okay. He's healthy, right? Yes. As far as I know, I'm healthy. Uh, so my other co-worker, who I had told that I had bariatric surgery, uh, said, no, he's just been losing weight, <laughs> that he's just been losing weight. Because at this point, uh, I have lost 50 pounds of weight. So it's very noticeable. So at a trial, if you've seen me before, you may notice that I have lost a significant amount of weight. And part of the reason I'm putting this on my podcast is because... I want people to know, you know, it's like I didn't just do this by dieting. Yeah, I had to change how I eat, but uh, I'm not doing it by diet alone or willpower. Um, I had help. I had surgery. So getting back to that, when I actually, so after the video, I watched this video. You go and you talk to, the, you know, the surgeon for like yeah, that 15-minute, 20-minute doctor's appointment. And, you know, they actually, you know, he talked to me. He said, you watched the video? Yes. And he's like, so which, which, which one would you like? You know, <laughs> which one do you want? And I was saying, and my, the doctor who referred me pretty much told me I should have the gastric sleeve. So I told him I want the gastric sleeve. He said, yes, I think that would be the best choice for you. He told me... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I didn't ask a ton of questions, but he, I think I did ask something. He said I'd probably lose 70 pounds. Well, I've lost 50. I'm certainly hoping to lose more than 70, um, but I'm happy that I've lost 50. So, and uh, if I lose 70, I'll be really happy. If I could lose 80 or 90, I'd be even more happy. But 
my weight loss has definitely slowed. I'll get into that. But I'm still losing weight. So, all right, so you see the surgeon, and then they, the, 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 because you're having surgery, and this one is a little involved, they want you to stay one night in the hospital. So you have to have an overnight stay. So they actually scheduled my surgery. I, this all happened, the consult and all. I did this probably around July of last year, July of uh, 2022 or so, I think. And uh, they scheduled me. And, you know, they asked me. It was, you know, and me too. But essentially, my surgery was scheduled right before Thanksgiving. So I totally ruined my holidays last year because uh, <laughs> I got rid of uh, my ability to eat anything. Um, especially at Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> but going along with this process, so uh, we scheduled the surgery for November. Uh, I think it was like the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. But then you still have to do a bunch of other things to actually be able to have the surgery. Um, so the one thing you have to do is you need to have a psychological consult. So I had to go see a psychologist, and the psychologist asked me a lot of questions, you know, um, you know, asking about depression, asking about how I've dealt with food over the years. Do I, you know, do, do I eat for boredom? Do I have people that would support me? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a single guy, but my I say, yeah, my sister will support me. Do you have people who might try to sabotage you uh, or, you know, not help you? And I was like, no, that's not, that's not going to, that's not a problem. So uh, anyway, so I can't remember all the questions I was asked, but you know, and that was like an hour about, um, I talked to, uh, the psychologist and she asked a bunch of questions <laughs> and she was something she just kept typing and typing everything down it's like a bit unnerving because personally i've never seen a psychologist before but uh anyway she at the end she said that she was going to approve me so that was done that was check got that part done uh then then you had to go for a nutritional consult which was at the 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 surgeons, uh, you see a nutritionist, I saw a nutritionist that works with the surgeon, and that woman went over all of the, uh, essentially telling me how my life will change. I mean, so, uh, you know, there was nothing surprising, hopefully, after the surgery. So, you know, uh, she also first started with asking about how I was eating now. And uh, then she told me, you know, what the process was. So immediately after the uh, surgery, once they removed part of your stomach, you're on essentially uh, a liquid diet for a few days. So for like two days after the surgery, you're just having a clear liquid diet. So all, all you're having is, you know, jello and uh water you know decaffeinated tea um not much you know because your stomach you know has just been you know since i had this gastric sleeve they they cut away my stomach you know i had three or four i think i only have three the three it was this was laparoscopic 
surgery, so it was all done through just these small incisions in my abdomen. So I have a few, and they're still there. Even, you know, what is it, uh, April, even, uh, you know, uh, months later, I still have, I can still see where they are, but they're just little little lines uh, where they had cut into me. Uh, and they, that was mentioned in the video, too, they have these, they they cut you, they put this little port so they can get their tools in and out through your, your abdomen. And uh, anyway, so that, that the first two days after the surgery and the night, I guess I was included in the two days, so the, the night after the surgery while I was in the hospital, they, they just wanted to be sure you were drinking. That's a big thing. The nutrition makes a big point. Then after the surgery, you got to drink, you know, 64 ounces of liquid every day. Um, and, you know, your stomach's not as big, so you can't drink, drink as much. And so you're not supposed to use... That, you know, you're not really supposed to drink from straws and you're supposed to stay away from carbonated beverages. Um, so, anyway, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. And then after that, uh, you go on to uh, a, uh, they call it a full liquid diet. And that's also when they start, because the big thing is, when you have this surgery is your stomach's smaller, but you still got to get your protein in. So, and you know, being a guy, my, my level of protein, like I am supposed to get to like 80 grams of protein, uh, now post-surgery, um, immediate, like in this fluid diets stage, uh, I was really, I, I just had to get to like 64, um, grams of protein. So to do that, so for, I guess it was about a week, a little, almost two weeks, you're on this, what they call full liquid diet. But that, that included things like yogurt. So I was eating a lot of yogurt. I was eating uh, low fat soups, like uh, squash soup, uh, cream of broccoli, tomato soup, uh, so you're, you were allowed to have soup, and you were allowed to have, like, um, you know, cream of wheat. You could have some cream of wheat. So, uh, and in that two-week period, you started with the protein shakes. So I was drinking, like, two, um, well, typical, I wasn't necessarily having Insure Max all the time, but essentially uh, Insure Max, if you've ever seen that, the commercials. So it's a protein drink that each one gives you like 30 grams of protein. So if you have two protein drinks or shakes, whatever you want to call them, uh, you're up to 64 grams of protein in the day. So during this period, that's what I was doing. I was having the two protein drinks and I'd have some yogurt for, you know, breakfast. <laughs> Lunch was a lot of times a soup and dinner was often soup or something too. Um, I think I, I think was I allowed to have I think I can't remember now. I'm like looking look back at what I had. I don't know if I was allowed to have uh, cheese then or not. Soft cheese. Can't remember. Anyway, so after those two weeks, then you go on what they they called the soft diet, and uh, that went for like another uh, two or 
two, two, three weeks, I guess, where once again, I could have yogurt. And this is actually that, that was, I couldn't have cheese in the, the prior stage, the, the full fluid. But that, then I was able to have like string cheese and soft cheeses. I could have uh, egg, you know, I could have a scrambled egg. Um, I could have tuna. I could have uh, some, you know, fish. Um, I was allowed, you know, banana. Um, you know, I was allowed some vegetables like, you know, green beans and they but everything had to be soft and you know uh, kind of they didn't want yet eating to anything too too hard so uh that that went then for that third phase of the nutrition and this is what the woman went over and then after that you're you're really on your so about a month later you're on which is you know what i've essentially been trying to do since then is uh you're you're on essentially, you know, you're <laughs> you can have all the things I mentioned before and you you know, you can start introducing other new foods. But you know, as I've found um that well let me just go through. So then after that you're 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 on your like your your plan for the rest of your life where, you know, I still need to get to about 80 grams of protein, which I generally do. Uh, so some days I don't have a protein drink. Some days I'll have one. I generally don't have two anymore. Uh, but just going along with the, I'll finish up the process. So that, that was all explained to me at the nutritional consult. And then like maybe a few days a week, I think maybe a week or two weeks, I don't know, before the actual surgery, he, they, at the surgeon's office, she had, and this was a meeting with a f number of people, um, some of them I think I may have seen that they went for my surgery, um, you know, they explained what the surgery, the hospital and surgery process was, they explained how you're supposed to, you know, wash your stomach they, with a special soap, uh, pre-surgery, and, uh, you know, you're not supposed to eat anything the day before, obviously, and all that. So they go over all that stuff. And then, you know, the day of the uh, operation, uh, my sister uh, took me, uh, well, actually, I drove myself, but my sister was there. And uh, I was scheduled, I think, for like the morning, uh, the morning. And, uh, you know, I went into the pre-op area, and you know, they get all get you all ready. You know, you get undressed and all that, and you get in the gown, and they do all you know all that stuff. And frankly, I was very scared because I've never had any surgery of any type, so this was my first real surgery of any type. Um, had a colonoscopy, but that's not that's not surgery. So you know, that's the closest I've ever come to being like you know going under any type of anesthesia or anything. So I was pretty scared in some ways. Um, but you know, the, the, I went into the thing and, uh, then they, you know, they bring you into the pre-op area and, uh, the anesthesiologist comes up and talks to you and, uh, you know, then they brought me in the room and uh, honestly, once I got knocked out and I will say that the person in the pre-op, the nurses in pre-op, uh, had told me like, when you, when you get to the, if you feel any discomfort or anything, be sure you tell them, tell them you're in some sort of pain. So they made it very clear to me that I should, you know, do that. Um, and then, 
I got in there. They knocked me out for the surgery. Frankly, I don't really, you know, I remember him saying they was, he was giving me something. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm in recovery, uh, waking up, and uh, I felt relatively okay. I did feel some discomfort. So when, uh, you know, I woke up, the nurse was immediately on, on me, and uh, she's asking me if I, you know, I was like, how I was feeling. She's taking my vitals and stuff. And then a few minutes later, she says, are you in any pain? I said, yeah, I'm in a little pain. And she gave me something. Um, but I was very lucky in the pain thing because they had explained that, you know, part of the surgery, they inflate your abdomen with air uh, because they, when they staple your stomach shut and all sorts of stuff, they, well, they need, they need more airy to be able to see what they're doing through the, through the cameras, through the laparoscopic. And, you know, they need to do a leak test before they close you back up. So they staple your stomach and then they, they must have, you know, put something down in your stomach to pressurize it. And they need to see if that leaks at all. And they need that, you know, they need to inflate your abdomen so they can see. But apparently that gas can then afterwards, you know, can be, it's still in you and has to get absorbed sort of and get out of there. And it can give you a lot of pain. You can feel that. And sometimes it can even feel like a heart attack from what I was told. Thankfully, for the most part, I didn't have any of that. I was really uh, pretty good. So then I got, you know, eventually after a little while, they took me to a hospital room. And uh, at that point, Leanne, uh, I think, came back. Uh, she was able to come and see me. And uh, she... Uh, she... Uh, you know, she saw I was still doing okay. <laughs> and, you know, I stayed overnight. I was trying to drink the water like I want. I got up a few times and, um, you know, I, they they were monitoring my urine uh, and I peed a few times. And I would walk around a bit because they said walking was good, you know, for the gas and everything. And so that all went, went pretty well. And now, uh, let's see, uh, December, January, February, March, April, five, five months later, I'm, you know, down, down 50 pounds plus. Um, I weigh myself almost every day or so, but I, I'm variable. But like immediately after the surgery, like in January and February, I was dropping weight like crazy. Uh, it was, you know, and remember, I wasn't eating a lot. I was, I was, for a while, I was on a liquid diet, then I was just on this, you know, uh, soft food diet, uh, f the full liquid diet, the soft food. So I wasn't eating as much. I got to admit, I have not felt like hungry, hungry. That doesn't mean I can't eat. <laughs> and I still don't sometimes eat incorrectly i may have lied to that psychologist about eating out of boredom so i think maybe i do do that sometimes but i'm aware of it at least uh but i'm still losing weight and i'm aware of that so you know and i want i'm still driven i want to lose weight so i'm still trying to follow you know the advice of the long-term diet which you know long term you're supposed to stay away from fried foods you know you're not supposed to eat a lot of carbs um and what I've also found, and remember, my stomach is small, much smaller, so I am still learning. You know, I used to be able to go to a buffet, <laughs> which I'll probably never do again, uh, because I just can't eat much. I can't eat much. I've got to eat very slowly, which is also something they tell you at the nutritional consult before. You have to eat your food slowly. 
You can only eat about four ounces. You need to stay away from greasy stuff. So, and if you don't, the repercussions is I will, I'll get like agita. Uh, I'll sometimes have agita. Um, sometimes I feel my, my, my mouth starting to saliva, get saliva, like uh, saliva buildup in my mouth, which I try to spit out because if, if I don't do that, at that point, I know I'm in danger. Because if I, if I feel that saliva happen in my mouth, then there's a chance I'm going to throw up, which has happened some. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time. It's happening less and less, thankfully. <laughs> but if, I, if you eat too much or you eat too fast, uh, one of the things your stomach can do is you can regurgitate it back out. So I'm still learning to live with this, this stomach. And as I said at the beginning, this choice of what I had done to me is irreversible. You can't put your stomach back in. So I'm never going to be able to eat at a buffet. <laughs> you know, Thanksgiving dinner when I was, you know, I would eat my giant plate of turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and green beans. Well, I've experienced that for a good many years of my life, but I won't be experiencing that anymore because I can't. I can have a little turkey. Maybe I can have a little, a little a fork full of stuffing and maybe a, just a piece of mashed potatoes. But, you know, maybe some, but the better choice would be some green beans or carrots or something because I just can't eat that much. And another one of the, and I have these rules, well, not rules or guidelines I should follow. Like, in general, you want to, eat like you know if i if i'm having fish and i have some veggies i want to eat the fish or or the meat or whatever i want to eat that first and then then eat some veggies if i still feel like i have room in my stomach so because it's important to get your protein in um but uh i'm at this point i'm super happy about the weight loss i'm still concerned but you know, I made this choice. I got to live with it. But I'm super happy. I've lost lost the weight. Uh, for right now, I did get off my blood pressure meds because of this. So that's that's a good thing. And uh, I hope that in the end, it'll let me live longer and be able to do, you know, more things with Trace and, and enjoy agility and everything even longer. So uh, that's, that's why I did it. And... Uh, I think that probably about wraps it up on this. So uh, if you're still with me listening, I uh, thank you. And part of the reason I, you know, I did this, as I said, somewhere along the spiel, is that you may see me at an agility trial. And if you know Ed Peters from, you know, prior years, you may notice I am significantly, you know, less. I have 50 pounds less than I'm carrying around now. So, you know, you can say, hey, you look good. Uh, I'm not sick. <laughs> I chose this, but I also didn't do it without help. I had surgery. Um, those 50 pounds uh, are because my stomach is different and uh, I can't eat the way I used to. And some of that is a concern and some of it's not. The other thing is like, you know, you're not supposed to have carbonation. So, like, I have not had alcohol since before, uh, you know, which is another good thing in some ways. Uh, I have not had alcohol since, you know, sometime before 
November. Um, and I used to occasionally like, like I'm going to be going to some baseball games this year. And that was the one thing, you know, I used to like having my, my beer and maybe my hot dog or something at the game. But now I'm not going to be able to do that. I might be able to have the hot dog. Hot dogs are a little dicey because they're not the best choice. But I might be able to have like a pulled pork sandwich. Uh, but I, at that point, I'm going to be full. Like I can't have any French fries, you know, and uh, the beer with the carbonation. I don't know. I've not been doing carbonation. So uh, just probably going to be drinking the water or maybe a hard drink. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I'm happy that I've done it. I'm, you know, I'm really happy that I've lost this weight. And uh, so that part of it, I'm, you know, I can't, I can't complain. I, I, I've, my surgeon said I might get 70 pounds. I'm, I'm up to 50 plus. I'm down 50 plus now, 50 plus. And uh, I hope to lose. I hope to keep losing. And, uh, you know, I know that when I graduated high school, when I first went to college, I know what I weighed then, and uh, that would still be a good uh, 20, 20, 30, eh, say 30, about 30 pounds more, uh, 20, 30 pounds more. But 20 more pounds off of where I am now is about the 70 that my uh, my uh, surgeon thought. So, and, and I'll say uh, just the other thing, like I, my pants, I have a whole closet full of pants now that I can't wear. Um, thankfully, I found a few that were the next size down. Um, I was wearing a 50. Uh, I have a few pair of 48s, but frankly, I'm wondering if I might be able to get into a 46 now. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'll have to go shop for. I'm gonna have to shop for some new uh, jeans because I'm I'm gonna run out. <laughs> gonna run out, and hopefully, I do lose some more weight, and then these 48s will end up being too big like the 50s are because you can only bunch them up so much before you're like this is ridiculous all right at this point i thank you all for listening if you made it this far if you see me at a trial you want to say something go ahead uh if this helps any of you out there in any way great um just be thankful that most decisions in life are not irreversible uh that's uh, my takeaway on this but uh, so far, this one I'm happy with, uh, which is important since I can't do anything about it now. And uh, I wish you all the best. And if you're going to a trial, which I may do tomorrow, don't know, depends on the weather, I wish you happy trialing.